Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Today we're going to do something a little different. We've done this once before and we're going to run it back. Do a little uh, solo podcast. Got a few things I want to share with you about a subject that I uh, am extremely passionate about. And this is a time of year that uh, you got to talk about it. So uh, we'll get to that in one second. But first, let me ask you a question. You guys know the question. Do you want to make a difference in the world? If so... Lipscomb University's Marriage and Family Therapy Master's Program specializes in training people to make a huge difference in the lives of individuals, couples, and family. Now, maybe you're a new college graduate, someone ready to make a significant career shift, or a minister who wants to expand the scope of your ministry. The Lipscomb Marriage and Family Therapy Master's Degree offers a rigorous 24-month program that can prepare you to become a difference maker. Located in Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb's Marriage and Family Therapy Program is accredited by the Commission of Accreditation for Marriage and Family Therapy Education, which means the program has met the highest and most rigorous accreditation standards in the nation. To find out how you can become a difference maker, visit lipscomb.edu slash MFT or call 615-966-5237 and ask for Kathy Johnson. Now taking applications for fall 2019. There we go. Okay. Now, <clears throat> before we get to gratitude, let me say thanks again for everyone who has uh, purchased the book, given it to a friend, posted about it on social media, left a review on Goodreads or Amazon. I have been told those are very helpful things for the word of a book getting out. And so for you all who've done that, I want to say especially, uh, and a special and especially, uh, I want to say I'm especially appreciative of you doing that. And for those of you who are doing your Christmas shopping right now, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Here's your answer. Go buy my book. That's a perfect Christmas gift for everyone. My daughters, they love it. Um, I mean, not the book, but they love when you buy it because it gets them one step closer to going to Disney World. So that's a nice thing to do if you care about my kids. So get a book. Um, all right, on to the subject at hand, Gratitude. Now, I've been asked uh, by a handful of people um, about why I, I never do monologues. I never do the old one-man solo uh, podcast thing. And I, I don't do that usually because I have an opportunity in a medium in which I can do a monologue every week. And so I think about my work. I've, my main hat is as a preacher. I do that every week. And I think of this as like my weekly communication of ideas. The, this is a, a, a week-in, week-out opportunity for me to kind of share the, the work that I've been, been going through. And I see the interview process uh, or the interview um, part of my work in the podcast as kind of like the exploration of ideas. So it's me like more gathering ideas. And then I see my writing as kind of like the long thought out, um, deliberate uh, sharing of these ideas. It's almost like the, the writing is kind of like the culmination of it. The, the interview is kind of like the, the research, uh, the, um, the preaching is the week in and week out uh, sharing of the content, and then the writing, hopefully, uh, as we're trying to figure out how to do this whole writing thing, is kind of like the long thought out process. And so I usually have like a, a, a role and an opportunity and a medium in which I can share all this different stuff that I want to work with or, or talk about or understand. And so that's why I usually don't do a monologue on the podcast, because I already have a place to do a monologue. But uh, we're going to make an exception, because we're going to talk about gratitude. Because I think gratitude is one of the central things that's connected and correlated with a healthy life. And this time of year, we're doing Thanksgiving, I've been talking with my kids about, hey, what are you thankful for? What, making a list, writing things down that they're grateful for, because I think gratitude is a central 
discipline. Practicing gratitude is a central discipline for anyone having a healthy life. And I definitely think as a follower of Jesus, it reflects God's will for each and every one of us. So before we get to gratitude, let me tell you a story. Because I think you all like stories, right? You listen to podcasts. You know I like to tell stories. All right, so here's a story from a couple of weeks ago. It's five hours before my flight to Chicago. The first part of a two-week stretch that's going to take me to Chicago and South Bend and then Paris and all over Israel and then, of course, Nashville. And it's Saturday morning. I've completed my required 30 minutes of yoga and mobility warm-up before my last workout in my garage gym for two weeks. And yes, my standard pre-workout warm-up takes me 30 minutes, minutes because... I am a man of some, um, like I would like to refer to it as seasoning, a little age. You'll see the little gray on my chin. It confirms that. But anyway, today's main lift was the deadlift, an exercise lacking in subtlety of name or complexity of movement. One simply picks up a barbell from the ground as if the weight was dead on the ground, hence the name deadlift. And over the next 15 minutes, I slowly increase the weight on the bar in 20 to 30 pound increments until I have reached a weight that I'm only able to lift a time or two or three per set. And at this moment, my back, hamstrings, and hips all feel loose, a feeling that doesn't happen by accident after 37 rotations around the sun. But feeling great turns into feeling confident, which turns into feeling risky enough to keep stacking on the weight. A voice in my head said to quit while I was ahead because the last thing I want is to be on an airplane for 20 plus hours in the next two weeks or sleeping in an unfamiliar bed with a sore back. But what's the fun in being conservative? So I add another 20 pounds to the bar, bringing the total to the highest amount of weight I've attempted to deadlift in four years or so. Now the voice of reason in my head gets louder, so I decide to crank up the music in the garage gym. And the following is an actual conversation I have. I tell myself, the smart thing is to stop while we are ahead. But when have I ever been accused of being smart? Uh, Please pay no attention to the plural pronoun I use in my self-talk. That's our business, not yours. But do pay attention to us saying that we aren't smart. I literally said, but when have we ever been accused of being smart? So as I approach the bar for this lift, my four-year-old daughter, Audrey, walks into the garage. Now, I love having my girls join me in the garage, so we have these diminutive camping chairs for them available in the garage. And so she sits in her chair on the opposite side of the garage from me and watches. I grip the bar in the standard deadlift over under grip, left hand under, right hand over the bar, slightly wider than shoulder width, roll the bar towards my shin, get my chest out, core tight, and then I pull the bar, it comes off the ground easily, with the exhale of my breath, exudes any doubt that I could lift this weight, 37 years, has nothing on me, I am not that old, I think to myself, the bar is now halfway off the ground, my abs collapse. Sending my hips backwards, placing all the strain upon my unsuspecting lower back. My back buckles like one of Cupid's victims. Pain shoots into my low back. I drop the weight and my verbal standards as I fall to the ground and introduce a new word into my four-year-old daughter's vocabulary. I roll onto my side and think, you are an idiot. 
why couldn't what I had already lifted been enough? A solid workout wouldn't have been enough enough because I just wanted a little bit more because what I had wasn't enough. I needed a few more pounds, a few more reps, uh, just a little bit more. My quest for more left me hurting for the next week and caused Jason Miller to have to pick up my bags at least once or twice, an incident that I'm still in the throes of shame and regret for. But my request for more left me hurting that week, but sadly, it's not the only time my quest for more has ended up hurting me and those around me. Gratitude, my friends, seems to be the thing that pulls us away from this quest for more. It's something that I have grown more and more passionate about because it seems to be the very thing that saves me from all the things that pull me away from God intention for me. It pulls me away from cynicism. It pulls me away from this endless quest for more. It pulls me away from comparison. And as our friend Barbara Brown Taylor a few years ago in the podcast talked about this shrinking box that she had of certainties, how it used to be this big chest full of a bunch of ideas, but now it's barely the size of a shoebox. My certainties have done the same thing. It's shrunk to just a few things, but one of those is definitely gratitude. I'm less dead set on things. I'm, I'm dead set on resurrection that it happened, that it will happen again, and that it continues to happen today. And I'm dead set on gratitude being a central practice required for all of us to experience the presence of God and the joy of God in our life right here and right now. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, give thanks always for this is the will of God. Give thanks always for this is the will of God. Because God's will is less about where you go and when you go and what you do and more about who you are. Now, John Orberg talked about this when we had him on to talk about his book, uh, All the Places You'll Go. That often we think of God's will as if there is this secret door that if we, if we say the right thing and we get the right prayer, then, then God will be like this Ouija board that will point us to the right door for us to go through or, or put us on the right ladder to let us know the next step we need to take. But I think God's will is far less intrusive. I think God's will is more about who you are, whichever option you go through, whatever choice you make. I once was uh, talking with someone uh, down here, and he said, don't you think it was God's will for you to go to Westover? And I said, I think God's will was for me to be a faithful follower of Jesus, whether I, I stayed outside of Dallas and Denton or I moved to Austin. And I think that's true. Like, I think God's will is less about where you go, what you do, when you do it, and more about the kind of person you are. And First Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks always for this is God's will. So God's will is for you to be a person of gratitude, to be a person with gratitude in your heart. And so what I'm going to do now, I'm going to transition. I'm going to keep on talking, but it'll actually be a clip from a sermon. This is actually the the third sermon I did at uh, my church down in Austin. This is uh, over three years ago. And, uh, you know, like early sermons are kind of interesting because like everyone's sizing each other up. Like, who is this guy? And the preacher's trying to size up like, how does this room work? What do they laugh at? What are they not like? Like, what are the things that make them tick? And uh, I heard uh, Conan O'Brien talking about... um, his time on the air doing late night, and he said that in like the first couple years, uh, people were like, "Oh, after two, I'm like you got a whole lot funnier." And he says, "Yeah, like I, I got better 
at my craft, but also people learned to understand me and where I was coming from. Uh, so this is like uh, very beginning, early Luke, and uh, there's some shout-outs in here to our um, the one that got away, Brene Brown, the guest I can never get. And uh, I think I also referenced one of my favorite quotes that um, that you probably heard on the podcast a few times by Joan Chittister. So, so here it is. Uh, here's the sermon on... Uh, a little bit. It's like eight to ten minutes of it. So this is more from First Thessalonians we go back five. Here First we go. Thessalonians five. Um, Paul finishes up that section. It talks about Thanksgiving. He says this: "Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." You see, Paul has these two commands: you rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then you also give thanks. And it might seem like two separate things, but ultimately they are tied hand in hand. Because God, Paul says, this is God's will for you. And so often when we talk about God's will, we think of where should I go or what should I do or when should I do it? And I think Paul, when he's talking about God's will here, it's less about where, when, and what and more it's about who. It's more about who you are. And the kind of person that God's will for you to be is, is a person who lives in the awareness of God's presence so that you can do nothing but be grateful. In the last 10 years or so, I've started to hold looser to a lot of the things that I used to as a young man, I'm still a young man, but even a younger man believed, but there's a few things that I hold even tighter. I hold even tighter that the greatest command is love, that ultimately what we are all doing, if you're going to boil it down to one thing, it's about love. You love God, you love people, that's it. It's not complex, it's simple, it's not easy, but it's simple. And then second of all, that resurrection, that it happened, that it will happen again and it continues to happen. We see it every week, it seems like, at this church, that resurrection continues to happen. And the third thing that I hold of first importance is gratitude. That I am more convinced that if you want to have a life in which you experience joy, you choose to be grateful. If you want to be miserable, then go ahead and act like the world owes you something. Be entitled Believe the cosmos deserves and you deserve the cosmos to give you everything. And tell me how that works out for you. I have a strong suspicion that it will not work out well. But if you want to experience joy and be aware of the presence of God, it comes hand in hand with gratitude. And it's something you have to work at. There's a sociologist from down at the University of Houston. And she's done a lot of work about joy and gratitude. And this is what Brene Brown says about it. And let me read you this quote. She says, I never talk about gratitude and joy separately. For this reason, in 12 years, I've never interviewed a single person who would describe their lives as joyful, who would describe themselves as joyous, who was not actively practicing gratitude. I love how she says practicing gratitude. It's not something that just happens, but you practice this. It comes from doing the work of being aware that God is always around you. That's the Christian practice of being grateful is you become aware that God is always around you. But if you don't practice gratitude, see what happens. You just start to think that this is what you deserve, that you're entitled to. But even the air that you're breathing right now, you did nothing for that. Think about it, like this, take a breath. That was great, wasn't it? Like you did nothing to make that happen. I don't think any of you got up this morning, went down to your kitchen, found your blender and mixed carbon and a couple oxides together. Like you didn't do that. It just, just happened. You just happened to be born. 
on the third planet in our solar system around a minor star, which is one of like a billion galaxies in our universe. And I'm assuming if you happen to have been born on any other planet, life would be pretty miserable. It would be really bad. I haven't gone to all those places. I'm just imagining, but I'm imagining it would be terrible. You just happen to be born on the one place in the entire universe that life actually works. And you did nothing for that. You just happen to be born here. But how do we even celebrate when we were born? We have birthdays. And who celebrated? You. What did you do on your birthday? Really? You did nothing. But you get presents and cake. And who's the person bringing the cake to you? And most times, it's the one person who actually did something on your birthday. She did something until very recently in human history had like a 50% chance of killing her, but she's bringing you the cake you want. Mom, I don't like chocolate, no. And you wonder why we have to practice gratitude. Because the world wants to say, no, you were born, let me give you presents. You were born, let me celebrate you, let me write your name in the sky. You did nothing, it's all a gift. And if you continue to live like you deserve this, you will miss the presence of God that's around you. But if you live in such a way that you pray without ceasing, that you live in this awareness, what happens is you become a different kind of person. You become the person that God's will is for you to be. Because ultimately, gratitude is not about getting the right deposit into your life. It's about a disposition you have to all of life. Gratitude isn't about what well, if I got this and I got that and my kids made it into this school and my, my bank account did that, then I would be grateful. No, that's not how it works. When you practice gratitude, you start to be grateful for everything around you because you realize that it is enough. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you don't have. I'm sure all of us can make a list of the things that we really need to be happy and to be grateful. But what you have right now, it's probably enough. Joan Chittister is a lady that I referenced earlier. She has this great line. She says, In this moment is the essence of everything glorious I have been given in life, and it is enough. In this moment, right here, is the essence of everything glorious you've been given, and it is enough. Once you capture that, you will become the person that is God's will for you to be. That whatever it is, it's enough. I have never heard an audible voice from God. Some of you might have. Some of you might think you have. You might need to go talk to my dad who's a therapist. You might. But I never have. But I have heard the house that is full of the giggles of three little girls. And guess what? It is enough. I have never touched the nail-pierced hands and seen the scar in Jesus' side. I've never touched it, never seen it myself. My faith has not turned into sight. But what I have seen is a group of people that gather around a table and they hand out the body of Christ to me. And guess what? That is enough. I've never seen anyone walk on water. Never seen Jesus walk on water. But I have seen people go into the water and their lives become different. Seem changed. And that's enough. It's enough for me. Ultimately, what this command is, that's of first importance, is for us to be people who live with this inward connection to God so that we see that God is always around us. And in doing so, we are transformed to being people of gratitude. And so may you see the presence of God that's walking all around. Okay, and...
we're back three years in the future. Please don't email me about the carbon dioxide thing not being accurate. Like, I, I didn't take chemistry in college. I don't pretend to think that's accurate. Whatever. Just, I get it. Uh, so, so gratitude is this intention that God has for us. But I think there's two things that seem to be the issues that prevent us from experiencing gratitude. And one is just suffering, adversity, when when things aren't great. Uh, in the last few weeks, there's been uh, two of the tr- tragedies, two of the uh, natural disasters, dare we call them, uh, that have impacted both coasts of the United States that have had uh, a particularly close connection to me. Uh, if you've read the book, uh, Got Over Good, I tell a story about uh, my friends who have this beautiful backyard that looks like a um, a picture that would typically be on like a postcard or or like a, a cheesy motivational poster because it's just like this palm trees and the beautiful sunset and the water and the bay, uh, this amazing view. I actually posted on Instagram a couple weeks back before um, hurric- the hurricane hit uh, Florida. Well... My, my friends who are living there um, sent me a picture after the hurricane, and it was completely destroyed. Like, the, the dock did not even exist anymore. Um, obviously, houses are still without power in Florida. I'm, I'm assuming the, uh, I mean, the church that um, used to work at down there, uh, I mean, it's been gutted because it had so much damage. And, uh, I mean, you see up close and personal, like, there are terrible things in the midst of it. And then uh, at, uh, on the other side of the, the country, in California, the, uh, the fires that have devastated and destroyed so many people's homes, it's taken the lives of, I think the number's in the dozens at this point. Um, one, of the, one of my friends is, uh, works out at Pepperdine, who uh, it was actually his job to, like, to develop the plan to make sure that a fire wouldn't, hurt the campus, or more importantly, the students and uh, the people who work there. And so I've been texting with him, just checking in to see how he's doing. And just as I've been checking with friends in Florida, and and I think about both of these situations and both of the people, and one of the reoccurring themes that has happened as people are dealing with terrible suffering, uh, obviously Pepperdine's dealing with not just the the loss of of, uh, property and... um, homes and people who've lived around there, but also there was a terrible shooting that, that took the life of uh, one of Pepperdine's students. Um, and obviously, the people I've been connecting with out there have been not only dealing with the fire, but also the devastation of, of someone being tragically killed uh, in a shooting. Um, but one of the recurring themes that I've heard f- from both of these groups of people is that even in some terrible disasters, there is a sense of gratitude that in the lowest of lows, that there is also an experience of the highest of highs, that even as you experience some of the hellish situations on earth, there are glimpses of heaven that you grasp in the middle of it. And I think that's, that's the power of gratitude, is that you don't always see things that make you grateful. You don't always see things that just make you naturally go, oh, this is amazing, I'm grateful, I'm happy, I'm in, in a great position. But the, the power of practicing gratitude, like Brene Brown talks about, that you practice is that you learn to have the discipline to not demand or expect everything, that you deserve it, but instead everything is a gift, even if it's not what you want. Uh, a few years ago, my brother decided to give me for Christmas a Snuggie. 
Now that's a terrible gift. Like a Snuggie who does that, a Snuggie is basically a backwards robe who somehow got marketed as a new product. It's really just a robe that's turned around backwards. And so my brother gives me this because he's the worst. And I come home from Christmas, I've got this Snuggie, and I didn't want to just like throw it away as soon as I got home. So what I did was I threw it behind the chair in my office. A few weeks later, I'm sitting in my office and I'm reading a book and I get cold. And I think, I don't want to get up to go get a blanket. And then I have this thought in my head, you've got a Snuggie right behind you. And so I reach back and it's there still. I'm cold. And so I have this conundrum. I'm lazy, so I don't want to get up, but I'm also cold and I don't want to be cold. And so I did what I never thought I would do. I take the Snuggie out of the little plastic bag that it's in. I put it on and I continue reading. And it was amazing. Like it was a really... It, like it's functional, like you had little pockets, in it. like I could put my phone right there, I could use my arms to read, to highlight, to move the, the page forward, while still having the, the benefit of being fully ensconced in fabric. I mean, it's pretty amazing. But here's the thing, I never would have bought a Snuggie. I never would have spent my own money on a Snuggie, but when it was a gift, I was able to receive it because I didn't have an expectation with it. When you expect life to always be good, when you expect there to be no tragedy, you're not going to have gratitude because your expectations will not be realized. But when you learn to receive everything as a gift, even when the gift isn't what you want, even if the day that you've received is not a good day, it's still a gift. The thing about life is that it is not forever. There is a finality to life. And I think being aware of the finitude of life helps us appreciate in this moment what we have received right here and right now. There's this um, famous poem by uh, Dylan Thomas. You've probably heard it before. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So you, you, you rage against death. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is by choosing gratitude, to accept even in the worst situations that there is a slimmer of light that is worth celebrating. There's a, there is a critique that happens in gratitude of the powers of death and darkness that we say, you do not have the final word in my life. So I'm going to choose gratitude even in the midst of grief. I think grief is one of the things that pulls us away from gratitude, but if you can work at it, it doesn't have to be the end. But, but I don't think it's the only thing that pulls us away from gratitude. I think there's another thing. Let me tell you about that thing. But first, another story, because I think y'all like stories, right? Y'all like stories. So on Saturday this week, um, a couple days ago, my wife texts me and says, got tickets to the UT game you good to go. And I said, it's Saturday night. I should be working on my sermon. But yes, I will cram it right now. I'll be ready to go. And so within like two or three hours, uh, we get in the car and we drive We drive down. I say car. Lindsay just got a van. I don't want to talk about her driving a minivan now because I sometimes have to drive a minivan. And I'm not really ready to talk about that because I'm for gratitude, just not about being the owner of a minivan. So let's just move on from that. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not saying I've got gratitude worked out fully yet. I'm still processing it, but I'm just saying like that's an area of growth that I have in my life. Anyway, so we are in this vehicle. We head down to the UT game and we walk in 
and they we try to walk where we I, I think the the seats are in the cinema. There's a special like club access or something, and so they take us to this amazing seats that has like food and drinks and all this great stuff um, that are there. And so we have these tickets because there's some some person who's um, who had to tragedy in the family, I don't think I want to go into specifics, but who has a soft spot in his heart for nurses, and he has a great deal of resources and a great deal of compassion and love for nurses because of a tragedy that he's, he and his family experienced. And so he gives these tickets, and it's like the best, par- like literally parking right next to the stadium, which does not happen uh, at any like major sporting event, uh, unless you pay a great deal of money. And these seats, free food, great view, perfect shot, like it's best seats ever. And I lean over and I tell my girls, do not expect this experience of a football game to be every experience you're going to have from here on out. Because this is the first time they went to a UT game, and I don't want them to think that they're always going to get the comfy chairs with the perfect view, the free food, and the easy parking. Like that's not what it normally is. Because one of the things that kills gratitude is for us to compare what I have right now and right here with what I had yesterday or the day before, or maybe even more so, I compare what I have today with the person next to me and what she has or what he has. And I think gratitude is constantly trying to be destroyed and pulled down by comparison. I don't know if you remember this um, from the Olympics two years ago. But there was a South African swimmer named Chad DeClaus who was the gold medalist in the 2012 Olympics in the 200-meter butterfly. In 2016, he was matched up with Michael Phelps, who is obviously the most decorated Olympic athlete of all time, most gold medals anyone's ever had. And so he's matched up next to Michael Phelps four years before he actually beat him in the same race. But this year, 2016... He's about to get to the finish, and there's this great shot, great picture that someone took of Chad DeClaus. His head is out of the water, and he's looking over to his left, and he sees Michael Phelps, and Michael Phelps is a length in front of him with his eyes focused directly at the finish line. And so all the memes came out about, you know, if you want to win, you don't look to the people to your left and your right, and they're right. Like, that's such like a, a, such a powerful picture of when you are being your best, when you are doing the gold medal effort for your life and being most faithful to what you have in front of you, it requires you not to look to the left or the right and to compare to the people in the lanes next to you. Because when you look in the lanes next to you, it always prevents you from being as good as you can be in the lane that you're in. There's a story in, uh, in John's gospel where Jesus has just told Peter that he's going to go at the end of his life where he doesn't want to go, and his life is going to be taken from him in a way that he doesn't want it to be taken from. And so he says, what about, what about John? Which is a fair question. Like if Jesus just told you, hey, you're going to die, and you go, okay, but I, like, I'm not the only one who's going to die. Like there's people to my left, there's people to my right. Like some of them have to like, go there too. Not like I want them to die, but like, I feel like it'd be nice if I'm not alone in this. And so Peter's question, what about, what about, what about him? And Jesus's response to him is, what is it to you? Follow me. What is it to you? Follow me. When we try to compare, I think Jesus's message to us is the same thing. He says to us, what is it to you? Just follow me. 
Just be faithful to the lane that you're in. Be faithful with what you have. Be faithful with the gifts in front of you, with the day that you have. And so that is my encouragement. May you all choose, friends, gratitude. Because in doing so, you live into God's will for your life. When you don't succumb to the temptation to just see the darkness in the world, when you don't succumb to the temptation to compare your lane to the people to your left and your right, but instead, when you're faithful to what is in front of you, when you can receive what you are and what you have been given and say, that's enough, then you are living into God's will for your life. All right, that's it, friends. I've actually got to go to move on with my day. And I think y'all should do the same thing. But may you do so with the gratitude that comes from understanding that what you have right here and right now is a gift. Thanks, friends. Blessings. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.